episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the New World Pictures podcast bonus episode interview. I'm Ryan. With me, as always, is Mark. Let's get into this interview. And Erica. Let's dip in. Let's dip our toes in. <laughs> just... <laughs> Just did just just. I brought I brought a pie. I brought a pie. Yeah, good. (laughs) Let's get our feet into a lot of pies here with director Dimitri Logothetis, who is the director. Pretty smart. This is our last week of Comedy Month on NWPP, and you know we we got to talk about the wrong guys with Tarek Davis. We got to interview Daniel Waters Mm -hmm. of Heather's. Another amazing, amazing. Another amazing interview. Incredible. Uh, Great talking with him. Then we got to talk about Pretty Smart, and we were lucky enough to be able to score an interview with Dimitri Logothetis, uh, who I don't know if he's talked about this movie all that much Mm. to many outlets. I know that when we were, I was trying to research for Pretty Smart, I had a hard time finding him talking about it. He does talk a lot about um jujitsu which is uh his most sure. recent movie he also talks the a kickboxer lot about the kickboxer movies the kickboxer movies yeah. which we will yeah. talk to him about as well but he has a lot of interviews on that not so much about pretty smart which is the start of his career but you're going to get it in this interview yeah we really dive in right at the beginning of his career kind of talking about how he got started i mean obviously he's more known as a producer now uh, he was also also has a storied career as a director, but he started as an actor, and he starts he starts by telling us about how his acting career started, how he was cast in an extra part in Martin Scorsese's New York, New York. That's he right. describes a hilarious scene with him and Robert De Niro, which I won't <laughs> I won't spoil, but it's a fantastic story. Uh, and then talks about how he got into like the cable. TV production business, working for Valley Cable Television, and that's really where he learned how to make movies. Like when you're yeah. running uh, public access cable, you're doing the sets, you're doing the production, you're writing, you're acting, you're lighting, you're learning the whole thing, and it really kind of set him up for his entire career. So he talks about how that really was like the school of hard knocks that got him to where he is today. And we had a great chat with him. He is a Great lover of genre film, as are mm-hmm. we. And so it was just an awesome conversation. So without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Dimitri Logothetis. You started out as an actor, which I thought was very yeah. interesting. Um, and you started out and you got a role in, in various things. You were doing theater and you were doing uh, movies. And then you got a role in New York, New York. Yeah, I, um, I started out as an actor uh, as a fluke, really. Because I was a business major and um, I was going to El Camino College uh, here in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. in the the South Bay where I live. And uh, there was a there was a choice. I was uh, there was a choice to either take a speech class or an acting class. So I took this acting class just because there was a lot of really good looking girls in the acting class. (laughs) What does that say about the business department? I'm I'm guilty like (laughs) Dustin Hoffman. I mean, he got into acting because there's a lot of really good girls in the class. (laughs) Sure. And so so I took this acting class, but the guy who taught the acting class was the head of of, uh, the department. Um, And he also also put up all the plays. His name was was a, he was a great guy by the name of Burnett Ferguson. And so he said to me, he was very enthusiastic. And he said to me, he said, you know, you're, you, you're 
a really good actor. He said, you're a natural. He said, I want to star you in this uh, play that I'm doing. And I said, oh, come on. I said, I, you know, I said, I, I was so busy with school that I didn't really have the time. And when he talked about the rehearsal schedule and, you know, I, I would memorize four and five pages for scene work, but to turn around and actually memorize a whole play, I was, it was just a lot, you know, mm -hmm. case, sure. he convinced me to do it. And I, and I starred in a play that he did um, uh, called uh, uh, Treasure Island. Okay. So, Excellent. Um, I was the leader of the good guys, uh, Captain Smollett, I think it was. Okay. And so that led to another play and then another play and then a bunch of stuff in Hollywood, uh, where they were doing a lot of, uh, theater, you know, uh, uh, so, so to speak off book, uh, in, in off Melrose, Melrose was not a big deal at the time. You mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of acting and then I got an agent who started to put me out there for, for commercials. And I landed a number of uh, roles um, because at the time I had, uh, you know, Robert De Niro was a big deal. Uh, Dustin Hoffman was a big deal. So I had that ethnic look. And so mm. they all liked the fact that I had this sort of ethnic look, which up until that point in time was not anything that anybody was looking for. Right. Mm. They were all looking for the Robert Redford types, you know. Right. Um, Paul Newman. So, yeah. And, and then I started to nail all those parts. And, and my uncle was um, under contract at MGM. He was one of the last, uh, pe uh, last uh, people that was under contract at MGM. He was, he was head of hair and makeup. His name was Sidney Gilleroff. And so he was working on New York, New York, and I would go and visit him um, on set and stuff like that because it was in the middle of culver city and then there was there was a part that fell out hmm. there was this part of a desk clerk mm -hmm. and um and then they said to me they said well why don't you read for it because it's got to be a, a pretty young guy I was 19 i think at the time and i said um uh okay you know but i wasn't really <laughs> I, because I, I i was in school you know? Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So again, I started to get through that, that, oh, so what does it take? What am I going to be here? Do I, I don't really have any time. And so I read for Scorsese and Scorsese gave me the part. And I remember it was nothing. It was like a two, two page, maybe three page part. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then the day that I shot it, I had memorized it back and forth. Cause I was in the same scene with Robert De Niro and Liza Minnelli. Mm. He was trying to skip out on his hotel bill and we right. shot it at the Biltmore here. Mm -hmm. And so I knew the, the script forwards and backwards and stuff. And of course he starts to ad lib. So I just <laughs> panicked. I just stared at him like, and I looked around and I just went, Oh God, I mean, this fucking guy, pardon me. <laughs> and, you know, because you know you're a kid and and yeah. you know your lines and now suddenly mm -hmm. so i said all right so i started to ad lib you know and um he tried to run out literally run out uh the, they set up a desk at the base of the back of the hotel and it was kind of this atrium area and mm -hmm. had a beautiful staircase you know and so he tried to run out and he, he looked at me and he said dimitri said you got to stop me because he said i will go and I said, Bobby, I said, 
I mean, you don't want me to stop you. And he <laughs> said, no, no, no. He goes, don't let, because I played football. I was a linebacker. I was into martial arts. I said, Bobby, I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and he said, whatever you need. He goes, you know, you stop me, grab me, tackle me, this, that. And I said, okay. And I, uh, I started to chase him um, and he started to beat me. And then I had to dive and, and I literally tackled him right at the base of the staircase. And I thought that they were all going to kill me because everybody, in the, in the, you know, it was an ad lib. And so right. everybody, ah, you know, and they all started to run. I can imagine now being a director. I mean, I would have died knowing that my leading man was just tackled on camera. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And, right. Uh, and so I got him in this scissor hold where I had my, my legs around his neck and, uh, and they all come running up to me and, and they're all yelling at me and Bobby raises his hands. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, I told him to do it. And then, and then Marty and him just started to get into it because he's like, are you out of your mind? He goes, have you looked at this guy? You know? And, and then we did two more takes. So. Um, wow. Oh my God. Wow. Did you tackle they cut, they cut out. The, so, I, so what he did is he's screaming at me and I kept telling him in the scene, please calm down because you know i was dressed up in a suit and i'm a desk clerk and mm -hmm. and i'm like please because so you're disrupting it's a big deal hotel you know and then he says don't you understand it's anzio anzio on the beach and so on and so forth and and then i said please you know and then finally i just said okay i leapt over the counter you know uh with one of those side leaps and then yeah. i jumped down and i just dropped into a martial arts stance and that's when he took off and uh and so it, it was a very funny scene. Marty sent me the entire scene. They cut out that part, but they cut back to me chasing him and, and you'll see me tackle him and then drag him out. So, <laughs> but it wow. ended up, I think it wow. ended up being like a five or six or seven minute scene. I don't remember. I haven't seen it in a long time. Wow. So at that so, point, were you thinking I'm going to be an actor? This is it. I've, I like, I've, I, I've had Well, this it was actually interesting because it was Marty who was walking around and I hung out there with them for quite a while. Uh, Cause I was fascinated by the way he was filming. I mean, he was at, you know, so many people were ad living and I was trying to figure out how he was going to cut it together uh, just from a story point of view. Cause I was, I was always a very good writer in school, you know? And so I'd written a short story and I was trying to finish it up that I had to turn into my English class. And he walked past me and he said, what are you doing? And I said, Oh, I just got to finish this homework, you know? And he said, let me take a look at that. And I said, no, I said, it's not ready. You know? <laughs> and he says, Oh, come on. And he takes it from me and he reads it. And then he says to me, he said, wow, he goes, you're a pretty good storyteller. He said, you should consider film school. Mm -hmm. And I said, what's film school? You know? <laughs> Cause it was a new thing. Right. A brand new thing, sure. you know? And so he said, he said, I'm going to write you a letter for film school. And so he wrote me a letter recommending that I should go to film school. Wow. And it was a really lovely letter that he wrote. And I, for the life of me, I can't, I got to try to find it because I think it's in storage somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then I sent it out um, and I was accepted at a bunch of different schools. Um, and I ended up going to Loyola and getting a master's in film and television. So that, that was really it. So the, the part itself could have led to acting, but and I was, ex I was also accepted at Yale for acting. Oh, so, wow. Uh, wow. 
but uh, so you had a choice you had two two choices to take and you took directing well i had to stay in la and and the choices in la were film school which was yeah which which because my my father was ill so i had Mm. to stick around town um but i you know I'm, i'm very glad that i did go with uh with filmmaking because it just as as complicated as our business is there seems to be a lot more freedom in that Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. in terms of you kind of for me you can pick a project now and you can start developing a project and you can actually get to the point where you're making the project you know right as Hmm. an actor you don't really right right you're there you're beholden to other people in order to to kind of get into a project and I know some wonderful actors. I know some extremely talented actors. Sure. And they've never really been able to break out in a big, big way, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as a filmmaker, you can continue to, you know, the majority of us filmmakers are, are uh, journeymen, uh, bread and butter, TV, et cetera, which I've done a lot of. Um, and that's a good thing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because you can continue. And you're, if you're fortunate enough, to be able to pursue this, at least you can continue to explore um, some of the art that you like, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when you get out, of, when you get out of film school, you, that you were saying you did TV, didn't you? You worked in cable TV for a while after film school, correct? I did. I, uh, I, I uh, got a job working for Valley Cable Television. There was a time when all the cable companies were creating themselves so they were buying these franchises from the cities and and starting to lay cable all over the city you know and i went to work for valley cable television part of what they had to do was they had to um they had to give public access they had, mm-hmm. they okay. had to offer up sure. several yeah, channels yeah i remember public that access mm-hmm and um, and so um, I was launched in in my mid twenties into this office building right off of um, the Ventura Freeway in Encino, where we just were in an office building on the second or third floor, and I had to build a studio, you know. Hmm. And um, so I, I built out the studio, um, and we ended up creating this little public access studio and. And then going out and just shooting uh, local football games and baseball games and stuff like that. And um, it was a wonderful, um, I call it the Marine Corps training mm-hmm. facility <laughs> because you, you have to do everything. You know? Sure. Yeah. You have to learn how to edit. You have to learn how to light. You have to learn how to make something make sense. And even though it's a talk show, you know, a lot of it was these little, um, of course, promos for the city because, you know, these guys got their franchise from the city. And so you had to constantly do political stuff. Right. Mm. And uh, and you had to get a a very simple message across. And, you know, storytelling is storytelling. It doesn't really matter what you apply it to. Um, Right. You you either get it to the audience or not. And Mm -hmm. um, and so that's that was really my my uh, my beginning. Then I also went on and did a uh, I got a job working at a, the biggest cable operator in the country at the time, which was called Communicom, which was in Hollywood. And uh, they ended up getting bought by Westinghouse. Okay. And um, I had an opportunity to have a really big job there. I was offered a very big job, but I kind of knew if I took it in my late twenties that I'd never go to 
I'd never make movies. Okay. Sure. So um, I went out and set up my own little film company with a with a couple partners, and then we just started to make movies. So. So how how do you make that leap? I mean, obviously you're 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 leading programming on a you know, for a cable network, and you're obviously you've learned all these different skills as part of that. You know, as you said, Marine Corps, just sort of scrappy way of trying to create all this content and do all the storytelling. But to make that leap to be like, now I'm going to go start my own thing. We're going to start making movies like that. That is still it's a huge leap. Did you was it all connections that you had made from working in the cable industry and and kind of what was the the nucleus of like, okay, we've got an idea. We've got a little funding. We've got what we need that we could start making something. Well, I mean, it'd be nice if it was that, but (laughs) (laughs) maybe I'm being uh, very optimistic. Thank you. No, no, no. Thank you. I really appreciate that because there's a lot of thought in what you just said, but it's really more about being young and not that smart. And Mm. so just saying, I want to go start a film company and, and, uh, and I got together with some partners and we, and we were all young and not that smart. And so we ended up uh, taking the front half of the Culver City Hotel, which is kind of a pie shaped Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. hotel. And my father, God rest him, he built out this office. And the Culver City Hotel was kind of a flea bag hotel at the time. So we got this really great rent. And my father built out all these offices in this old hotel where they, they, uh, the, the, the entire cast of the Wizard of Oz stayed, you know, in the middle of Culver City. And then I just started to make phone calls and uh, wow. I didn't know anybody. And uh, uh, you guys are want to talk about uh, pretty smart, the new world. Mm-hmm. Picture, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, so I meet these two producers um, who had done this movie series called um, um, uh, hard bodies. Right, and yeah, it was the right. first the first one that they did. It was based on a Playboy short story. Mm-hmm. And so I had these incredible scripts. I had these really fabulous scripts that had gotten great coverage and they were dramatic things and it was just amazing. And so they set up a meeting for me to go in and meet with the guy who was, uh, the, 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 he, he was a very big, uh, I forget his title, at, at RCA Columbia. And I okay. think it was Ken, Ken Kamen's, okay? And so I sit down with Ken Kamins and I, I don't even remember what I pitched him, but I was pitching him this story and I'm looking at him and he's completely like careless. You know? <laughs> and I look up on the wall and I see he's got a poster for hard bodies and hard bodies had done really, really well for them. It was a big deal because video at the time was huge. Right. Right. A video sold for about a hundred bucks a pop, you know, yep. to the video stores. I think they did over 150,000 of those that they shipped wow. out right away wow wow it was made for less than a million bucks you know and so i said to them i said did you ever think of hard making hard bodies too because i just immediately switched gears because i thought mm-hmm. i'd never get a meeting with this guy again you know completely like had nothing to do with this dramatic wonderful <laughs> script that i had well what about hard bodies <laughs> <laughs> and he said to me Sharp left turn. (laughs) I looked up and he said to me, he goes, well, how would you do it? And I said, and I had never seen the movie. I'd heard about it because the producers who produced it told me about it, you know? Okay. And so I said, well, I said, I'd probably bring them to Greece, to a Greek island. 
And I said, why not just do a continuation of everything that they did before where they actually go to a Greek island and now they, they have to teach these older guys how to pick up girls, you know, because mm -hmm. they're just a bunch of guys that end up on a Greek island. Mm, I kind of like that idea. <laughs> He said, he said, do you have a, a story treatment? I said, shh, shh. I looked over at the producers. The producers are staring at me. You know? <laughs> right. And I said, yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, you know, we, we uh, went out and hashed, it, hashed out a story. And I think we turned something in on the following. I think it was like a Thursday. It's a long time ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sure, so sure. We put this together and I had some uncles. God rest them, who owned little hotels on different islands in Greece. And I said, if we go to the island of Rhodes, I said, my uncle owns a hotel there. And there was, at the time, there was still the, the drachma still existed. And they said to me, they said, uh, was, does Greece have equipment? Does Greece have a lab? Does Greece, because we're right. shooting film, right? 35 mm -hmm. million years. And I had no idea at all. And I said, yeah what's the matter with you guys of course they do you know and uh so we literally made a deal for about a i think it was about an eight hundred thousand dollar movie 850 something like that within a few weeks okay wow, wow um and uh and then we we went we had it all prepared and we went to do that and um i get a phone call out of the blue from tony randall who you guys already did an interview with. Yes, yep. we sure did. And he was a, he was a studio executive at uh, New, uh, New World, World, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Tony in his inimitable he he non-enthusiastic delivery. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know. Well, sure. Sure. Dimitri. Uh, <laughs> do you know anything about Greece? <laughs> and I said yeah i said a little bit i said you know i was born there yeah. and i said i would go there every summer and we came to the states when i was about six and he says again just i love tony by the way yeah, uh, oh yeah oh yeah he's so, great so do we he's you terrific. consider yourself to be a greek filmmaker and i said <laughs> no do i sound like a greek filmmaker <laughs> and he said uh because i really would like to go to greece and i said why <laughs> And he said, well, I want to look up my family tree. He said, you know, we're, uh, we're Jews. And he said, they have that whole uh, archival thing on the island of Rhodes where uh, you can go in there and you can look up your family tree for oh. the last three or 400 years. You know, and wow. I said, oh, wow. I said, well, that's a good reason to make a movie. <laughs> and, and again he's so dry you know his sense yeah. of humor is really yeah. dry and it doesn't make any sense that he's he made hellraiser at all okay yeah you know it doesn't make any sense at all because he just doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would you know do that but yeah so he cleared me to to direct the film because i produced the first one along with these other guys and then i directed this one okay you directed pretty smart, you're saying, and, and produced and produced hard bodies too. And one of one of the the girlfriends of of his one of the producers had written pretty smart. It was not my story at all, right? Because, was that you know, Melanie Ashuler? Yes, Melanie. Mm -hmm. And it was it was not a very 
um, it was it was a, it was a very popular to do porkies at the time. They were doing all yeah. that kind of you sure. know sexy teen uh, comedy stuff, right? Right. Um, like hard bodies so, too. Pardon me. Like hard bodies too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they, but but they followed suit. It was all because of the porkies. Thing. Yeah, of course. Once sure. Porkies right. happened. You know how you know how the film business is. Everybody's like, okay, we want to do forty of these now. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Totally. And we're gonna beat it to death until it's all completely destroyed you know yeah but in any case it was a great opportunity trust me all this stuff is great opportunities because i am the kind of uh, and i say this to young filmmakers you can talk about filmmaking all you want but you're not going to learn anything about filmmaking until you go out and make a movie mm-hmm. of course. and you should continue to make movies i mean if you take a look at early scorsese you take a look at early george lucas you take a look at early all the filmmakers that are wonderful filmmakers today you got to go out and make a movie. You got to make mm-hmm. some commercials. You got to make this. You're not going to, you, again, you can talk until you're blue in the face, but you're never one thing for me is going to lead to another. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so I get this gig and we go out and we're supposed to produce these movies back to back. Okay. Right. So we do the first film and there's kind of like, I, I, I'm not really in charge, although I, I'm a producer, I'm not really in charge. So I'm watching this and there's, problems with money and there's problems with money coming in on time and all this kind of stuff and I, I don't really know what's going on you know so we start my film and um i i speak to tony about once a week and uh we start shooting it and we and, and well, first before we even get there um i i'm sitting there and, and we're casting and i see uh we we get trisha lee fisher who was wonderful okay right mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I wanted this really young actress uh, that, that I had to fight for named Patricia Arquette. Yeah, right. And everybody was against me on that because they just didn't, who knows who she is. She's got right. the Arquette name, but she doesn't look right for the part. And I'm li- and I said, listen, I said, this girl's got a lot of charisma. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm just telling you right now. I said, she's just a natural and she's really sweet. And I said, she really knows how to deliver a line. And, and I had to really fight for her. And I finally won that. And I got her in the picture, you know, and that was her first role. Yeah. Um, it was really sort of Trisha Lee Fisher's, I mean, her first big lead role in a movie. Yeah. Right. And yeah. her sister was in a Jolie as well. Mm-hmm. Jolie right. Um, and so we, we start shooting the film and, um, um, and then, you know, we're doing the whole thing at the time because you have no time and no money. You just start. And I was one of the first guys that, that was started shooting with two and three cameras at a time, you know, mm-hmm. which, mm. which was the only way to get through it. You know, Sure. And I was one of the first guys to actually start doing medium shots and close ups at the same time while you're you're doing takes, because, again, I was trying to see how I could get through the days, you know, and that's easier had, to well, cut that, that way. Well, that was because of TV. So the TV enabled mm-hmm. me to sit there and, and start to figure out, well, okay. So a very, very fast crew, if you've got an amazingly fast crew on TV or film, okay. The minute you move the camera here to here, 10 feet. Okay. You're looking at about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's fast. Yeah. yeah. They enough. always have to do a little lighting adjustment. They have to do a little something, a little this, a little that mm-hmm. they have to, rebalance and even if you push a dolly over okay you're going to take about 15 minutes right and so if you go ahead and add that up and look and say to yourself i have 
eight people in this scene. Okay. And I need to get a, a minimum of a, me, a, a medium shot and a close up on each one of them. Now multiply that times 15 minutes and you'll pretty much see how your day is going to go. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're lucky enough to have a good crew and a, and a quick crew. Yeah. And so what a lot of people do is they try to, they don't think about it that way. They just want to get this really, you know, artsy elaborate thing and so on and so forth. But you can get all that if you figure out how to do that and then try to do the other in a different way. But you constantly have to prepare all this stuff. You can't do it on the day. Right. You can't fly by the seat of your pants unless you're doing a studio picture and then they don't care. You're going to be shooting over the course <laughs> of two and three months. And, you know, they're not they're not that conscious of budgets. Although but this was entirely this is entirely on location, entirely on location. And so you're dealing with what you have, you know, and if you don't have it there, then you've got to figure out how to get around it. So in any case, we start shooting the picture and and I'm getting calls from Tony and he's like, um, Dimitri, you had a 26 setup day yesterday. Very good. <laughs> we'll get to your schedule. When am I going to see the footage? You know, I, I don't know. I said, I think, you know, that's not, I think it's the other guys that they're supposed to be sending it to you, the, the producers, you know. So in any case, he gets the footage. And then he says, at the end of the week, he called me, I think, once or twice a week, right? And then he says to me, he goes, Dimitri, he said, uh, the really good stuff. I like what I see and it's terrific and so on and so forth. And the producers are telling me that I'm not moving fast enough and I'm hitting the days as I'm supposed to be hitting the days, but they keep telling me that I'm just not moving that fast, you know? And I said, uh, and I said to Tony after about two weeks of this, I go, Tony, is there something wrong? I said, I mean, I'm getting, I'm, I'm tired. And I said, I'm confused because you're telling me one thing that everything's great. And on the other hand, they're telling me something else. He goes, my hand a second. He looks at the schedule. He says, you're right on schedule. He said, I don't, I don't know what they're, they're doing, you know? So then they said to me, they said that they wanted to cut about four or five days off the schedule, you know, sort mm. of in the middle of the whole thing. And then I finally, I just, I was, again, I was exhausted. I said, Tony, I don't know how the hell to do this. And I said, and by the way, I said, the Greek line producer that we hired told me that the money hasn't come this week to pay the crew, you know? And he said, well, that doesn't make any sense. He goes, I sent the wire out four days ago. He said, so you should have had it there by Wednesday or Thursday, which mm -hmm. is the normal time when everybody gets paid. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, I'm telling you right now, I go here, talk to him, you know? So he talks to the Greek producer, who's the line, our line producer, our local line producer who hired everybody, you know? So Tony was on a plane. <laughs> Within a few days, <laughs> he gets on a plane and he flies over there. And I guess he found out that uh, our producers were taking money from our picture to finish the last picture. Ah, so they, oh. they had gone over budget on the other film oh, and they've been no. moving money around. Hmm. So now I'm in a position where um, they're not allowed to be involved in the film at all. And right. I'm a first timer. And so Bob Ramey, who was head of the studio at the time, locked them out of the editing room. Wow. And uh, said, well, I'm going to put a guard on the editing room. And if anybody comes over, you know, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so, so that was my first venture into filmmaking. Um, and we ended up with a kind of a cute little goofy story. I mean, I think that yeah. once we cut it all together, I think it ended up having a, you know, even Tony said, he said to me, he goes, well, 
this has a kind of a sweetness about it, which was uh, not anything that I was expecting, you know. <laughs> so it so does. I it's a good, it's good little coming of age story. Yeah, it was really, it was really, uh, you know, it was really uh, kind of fun, and it was, it was a good beginning. So you, mm-hmm. for me, because you, I ended up figuring out um, how the business works uh, on the independent level by by being thrown into the fire. Sure. Mm-hmm. Can, can I can I ask you how did you know Tony already? Did you meet him? How did you meet him initially? Didn't I just got a phone call? Really? I, so I how did he, he I, get? How did he know of you or know to contact you? Well, I think the producer said that we're doing this movie in Greece, uh, which was with RCA Columbia. Right. And if we go ahead and piggyback another movie, then you guys will be able to get this for a deal because. Remember, this was Roger Corman's old company. And at the right. time, Roger had never done anything more than $250,000. So <laughs> these guys jumped their budgets up to about a million. You know? mm-hmm. And they were doing very well um, until they really started to jump even higher than that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think the formula was working pretty well for them. And that's how it got. And then they, and then they said, well, we're, you know, we're doing this with, with Dimitri and I. And we promised him that if he produced the first one that we would let him direct the second one. So that's how I think I got the phone call. Okay. Okay. And then when you got this script, I know it was written by your producer, Jeff Begun and Melanie uh, Alshuler. They, they wrote the initial one, but then Dan Hoskins came on. He's the other credits. Did he, he take over the script? Uh, yeah, because Danny, Danny was a little um, funnier. And so he tried to, he tried to inject a bunch of, uh, laughs in the film mm-hmm. and uh, he was recommended by uh, the studio I believe is was a studio that, that oh, okay okay uh, did Tony you have it I think it was I think it was Tony I don't remember did you have any input into the script at that point or were you I did I mean I just basically you know what I what I used to do um, with the plays and stuff is I would just do read-throughs so I'd bring a bunch of actors over to my house and mm-hmm. I would just have a bunch of read-throughs or my office pardon me and to, to hear it. And yeah. it's amazing, you know, even without any acting, if you just have a simple read through, you can tell whether something's working or not. Mm-hmm. And you can have non-actors do it for that. Sure. Because when you're sitting back and you're just looking and listening, uh, one of two things happens. Either you start following the story or you drift. Yeah. Now, if you're drifting, that's not good. people don't have to act they really don't they they can just read you know and so we we read it and we we saw that it needed some work so and and danny did a dad dan did a really good job actually was it intended to be a comedy from the beginning or was that kind of plussed up oh it was yeah okay oh yeah yeah it is an interesting plot for a comedy um you think (laughs) (laughs) and so like the judgment you mean you mean you wouldn't be able to sell that today with this creepy guy (laughs) this creepy guy who runs an all-girls school has got cameras inside their bathrooms and he's shooting them and stuff like that not that none of that stuff exists on the news right right (laughs) right and there isn't something like an island that some creepy guy had where 
he would bring girls and take all their clothes yeah, off. Right. No, that very powerful. Not that any of that stuff ever existed. <laughs> but no, I agree with you. I mean, it's kind of. A, it's, but again, I didn't write it and I didn't pitch it. And nor I, it always astounds me what what gets made, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I will still say that uh, uh, <laughs> that's the scene when he brings in all of his uh, business associates <laughs> to sit down and watch the videos together in a yeah. single room. Mm-hmm. Mm. That is, <laughs> it's, I it's laughed. Little crossing hard. the line. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what? I felt I like on both sides, like you get invited into that room. How are you going to feel? And then you, the one inviting everybody into that room. It's a, it's an interesting juxtaposition. But you, know, you know, what's really funny about that. And I'm glad you brought it up actually. Okay. Because I agree with you. Okay? <laughs> and remember now, I, I don't have a whole hell of a lot. Of, I got to figure out how to make it work. Number of course. Right. right. Um, and then take a look at Squid Game. Okay. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. You've yeah. got all of these guys and they're all sitting there and they're watching in the room. You know, so if you take that scene alone. Yeah, it, sure. It's been used over and over and over again. And it's like, mm-hmm. maybe that exists. I don't know. <laughs> right. right. It certainly is right. a mechanism that writers have used often with major motion pictures. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly. where a bunch of creepy guys are sitting there looking at people either getting killed or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. Eyes wide shut. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is definitely the teen version, the teen <laughs> version of Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In a way. You know, and, and, and again, brilliant filmmaker. Yeah, of course. Great actors. Yeah. But if you really break down the plot and you just lay the plot out at a coffee shop, people will look yeah. at you like you're out of your mind. Um, so when you were saying they did all the, the stuff in Greece, like they were they were fully capable of doing films. Was that the case that you find? Because I have heard uh, from separate filmmakers, like, you know, talking about when they made other people that have made movies in Greece, not even New World Productions, but um, that they had they had to like they would have to send the film to Europe in order to get processed because they couldn't do it in Greece. But was that not the case for you? I don't know when what when that was and, and what the filmmakers are talking about. But sure. Kodak had a lab right in the center of Athens. Oh, OK. And so so that was the biggest thing for us. And, and Greece, because of its location. Be, and, and I found all this out. Remember, I'm the guy that didn't that said he knew, but I didn't know anything. Um, so they've got plenty of sound stages. And Greece is located; it's the last country before the Middle East. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. So what would happen is they would be shooting the the Egyptians would come over to Greece to shoot television series and soap operas because they didn't have that there. Okay, and so there would there'd be a lot of people that used Greece that I found out. And in the center of Athens, there's sound stages. There was a lot of cameras. Uh, up until that point, they'd been shooting a lot of the Love Boat, okay, mm-hmm. uh, right mm-hmm. out of Greece. And I didn't know that either. And so consequently, the, the, the line producer that we ended up working with, he had incredible production offices right across the street from the Hilton Hotel in the center of town with all the phones and everything else all laid out and grip equipment, et cetera. So that kind of blew me away. I mean, I thought that that was uh, that was all very neat mm-hmm. that existed because otherwise we would have had to ship all of that stuff in from somewhere, right? right which right. which would have made it completely unaffordable. Of sure. course. And the look the location where you were saying that you you had uncles uh, that owned property in, in Greece. But the main location for the school, like, how did you come across that location? So the main location for the school was in Athens proper. 
the first movie we did on the island of Rhodes mm-hmm. because my uncle owned a hotel on the island of Rhodes and it was okay off season. I remember I think it was maybe March, April, May, something like that, right before the season started. Because it was a little cool when we threw all uh, the entire cast uh, on a beach, you know. Yeah. Okay. But we shot we shot all over roads, and we had some really uh, beautiful locations for hard bodies. And then from pretty smart, there was an old the the, the exterior was this uh, kind of an old castle, I think. Mm-hmm. The interior was the Grand Britannia Hotel. So we were all staying at the Grand Britannia Hotels. It was one of the finest hotels in the world. And I convinced them all to give us a huge, an incredible rate. And so all of the interiors that you saw there, oh, wow. which is where they were teaching the girls and mm-hmm. all the, where they were doing all the dancing and stuff. And then, of course, we were walking around Plaka, uh, where they had all their little, uh, the little uh, montage that we did. Sure, there. sure. Yeah. And, uh, and so... Yeah, I remember one of the group of girls. Um, this is such an old hotel, uh, a lovely hotel. It reminds you a lot of the old British hotels, you know. Sure. And so, evidently, one of the girls, um, uh, they were drinking and perhaps uh, smoking things, and uh, <laughs> they start. They decided to take out a Ouija board, and they started to play with this Ouija board, you know. Mm-hmm. And she got herself all paranoid, which smoking things tends to do to you. Yeah. Um, and she uh, decided that her room was haunted. Okay. And she, she ended up heading to the airport um, and going and jumping on a plane in the middle of the night to, to fly back home. Okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. And she felt that her room was haunted. And I still had something like 10 or 15 pages to shoot with her, you know, Um. And meanwhile, Dennis, Dennis Cole invites his girlfriend over there. Okay. And uh, he, uh, God rest him, he liked these highly volatile relationships. Mm-hmm. So while this is going on in the middle of the night, I hear a bunch of screaming down my hallway outside my room. And I open the door and Dennis's girlfriend is running at him in her underwear jumping up on top of him and wanting to uh to beat the shit out of him you know wow and so and, and i and i'm looking wow. and i just woke up you know and i, and I went uh not the face yeah <laughs> <laughs> so again it was just it was just incredible uh it was incredible to jump into all that stuff because you know you don't know any of these things you don't know that you're gonna have to deal with that right 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 um yeah. So in any case, uh, one of the producers got on the phone with the girl's agent and said, um, she has to get back on a plane right away. Otherwise, I'm going to tell everybody in the business that uh, that she walked out on in the middle of a movie. And that's the end of her career. Wow. So but she actually go got on the plane and left like she was on her oh, way. Oh, she flew back to L.A. Oh, really? Wow. And so her agent and somebody else met her at the airport and got her back on a plane right away within a few hours to fly right back wow so she, she all she had was time to take a shower and she flew right back so basically she flew for three days you know did she did she end up staying back in the same room or was was she accommodated no we, we moved her to another room but <laughs> it was all bullshit yeah right no i of course, I, I, of course. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I, said, I, I kept telling her i said look 
it's got to be Casper the friendly ghost, so don't worry about it. Right? <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> so. um, was Crawley's office also uh, in the hotel? Was yeah. or? Oh wow! Wow. Okay. So it's a great. We find. had to come up with a goofy, you know, false wall, right? Because we had the uh, okay. Yeah. And we have we had a bunch of monitors there. Yeah, yeah. in, the, a bunch in of, like the closet or whatever. So yeah. we did all that, but you know, they had those big meeting rooms there. It was pretty easy to do, you know. Yeah. Uh, but all that stuff we did, we did there, and the beautiful bathtub. I mean, if you look at the interior of the girls' rooms, they're pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they are a lot of marble, and you know, it's so that that was the hotel. Wow. Um. So when Tony came over, was he able to do all the research about his family? Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> okay, good. Absolutely. He went to Rhodes. He hung out with his girlfriend at the time, um, and I think they he drove around. He had a great time. As a matter of fact, if Tony didn't tell you, he married a Greek girl. I mean, he's married to a Greek girl. Yeah. Yeah. And so now he he uh, I think he goes back there often. Yes, he he, yeah, he, he did, did say that. that. He said he they go back quite often. Yeah, they have, they have a they place have a over place there. there. Yeah. And that's like his happy place. He loves going yeah. back to Greece. He can he can send me a tray of baklava whenever he's <laughs> We'll let him know. Yeah. <laughs> um there this is a uh, pretty smart was the last film for Kimberly Delphin, unfortunately. She did a few other jobs and then she kind of like left the business and then she unfortunately passed. But she played I loved her as Yuko. Um, and can you talk to us about working with her? Well, she's the girl that got on the plane and flew back home. Oh, she was the girl. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Her? Oh, wow. No. Wow. Way. I'm sorry to hear that she passed. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, but it was, she was, she was really a lot of fun and it was just, you know, everybody was young. I mean, yeah, for you, know, sure. you gotta, you have to, <laughs> you have to accept the fact that, you know, is it, when we're really young, we just do a lot of stupid shit yeah you know? sure mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that it doesn't you know today I, part of the problem that i have with all the woke stuff is that everybody's responsible for things that they might have said and done 30 years ago i mean really yeah yeah you know if we started to examine everything that we all the choices we made 30 years 40 years ago <laughs> I mean, and that's that's a tricky part for us too with this podcast with a lot of the move a lot of the new world sure. movies yeah you know they teeter on that line of you know kind of what we mentioned earlier of you couldn't get away with that now for a variety of reasons yeah rickles was hysterical rickles (laughs) is a hysterical you you can't you know you can't have somebody step i mean you listen to bill maher and bill says you know i can't go to colleges anymore Mm -hmm. he says because everybody is so you know offended when you tell a joke and it's like come on guys it's a joke i mean You know, I mean, I'm I'm a Greek American. I'm I'm proud to be uh, an American. I love America. This is this is where it, it, it you know this is my country. You know, and you you know the, can you imagine all the jokes I had to hear growing up and the the funny name now it's now it's uh, um, now it's a big deal and and, and it, it's acceptable to have an unusual name. But Dimitri right. Lodipatis back yeah. in the day was a very very you know I, I I took a lot of shit for that as a kid. Of course, sure. So yeah. what? But now, thanks yeah. to you and John Stamos, everybody loves Greeks. Right. But I mean, again, it's like that's that was then. Everybody get over it. Yeah. You know, yeah. we we move on. I mean, we love Greek yogurt. Yeah. You know, we love- even even though it's made by a Turk. 
right? <laughs> <laughs> Details. Kibani, come on, let's go. He's not. Details. He's not really a good guy. <laughs> okay, I mean, you know, sure. All the Turkish sure. yogurt. Tell him why. Do you, why would you do that? <laughs> um, uh, so Randall also, uh, Tony also told us about the story about um, how Pretty Smart was. What they had they tested Pretty Smart um, and Soul Man on the same night, but in different cities. And he said that it just pretty smart, just killed it. Yeah. Uh, and he was and very I, pleased. And I, and I had no idea. Like I, I, I didn't even know testing. I didn't know they did that, you know, so that was a really big, big deal for me. And then I watched uh, the, you know, the same companies that test all major motion pictures and, and we, uh, Tony and I were standing in the back of the audience and stuff. And I was like, Oh, you know, I, Oh, come on, Tony. I mean, it's a video picture. I mean, we're going to get destroyed, you know? And he said to me, so don't worry about it. Just relax. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and they, then the numbers came back from, I think we were 92. What did he tell you? 92 night. We he, were in the nineties. He did not mention the numbers, but he said it just, it, it just played incredibly well. Mm -hmm. But he said no. the new world didn't really want to get behind the movie. Are you? Were you saying that it was? It was you made it specifically thinking it would go straight to video. Well, that's um, what they all were. Okay, all those pictures at the time. It was a price point, right? And so, sure. of course, if you ended up with Halloween, or you ended up with, uh, you know, Kickboxer, you know, yeah. you 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 know, Kickboxer, the the uh, the, uh, you know, I bought a company uh, that uh, had a, a library in it. And so kickboxers mm -hmm. were the films and that was made for just under a million bucks. Mm -hmm. Right. And that just took off, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you never know when that's going to happen. Um, but originally they were, they made it specifically because they knew that they'd still be able to ship out a hundred thousand videos at a hundred bucks a pop. Yeah. And then they'd be able to sell cable and television and television syndication around the world. And with all these movies, the formula for them was that by the time they were done, they'd end up making a minimum of, of doubling their money, if not more. You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's because now when you're talking about P&A back then, it was making more prints, right? Right. So you had to really come up with more money, a lot more than the film cost. Right. So that was their determination. And Soul Man did great. Yeah. You know, they, they, yeah. Put the, they put money behind it. At the time, he was a name, Yeah. you know, so I understand the move and Tony and I talked about it and I just said, well, you know, I get it. So. Yeah, apparently it did not test as well though. It was pretty smart is what I think Tony was uh, saying to us at the time. So well, clearly it wasn't as good a movie. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, it's, there it is, you know, <laughs> try to make yeah. that movie today. Yeah. You, you cannot, you can't, you cannot make <laughs> that movie today. Happen. We have yet to review it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we are letting that one simmer. Um, but uh, but, you, so should. You, felt that, that, but you should. I think it's wonderful that you're, you're touching all this stuff because I think, again, any of the stuff that anybody did, nobody came at it in, in a very, uh, they weren't mean-spirited. Nobody was doing anything mm -hmm. sure. mean-spirited. Mm -hmm. sure. So, yeah. you know, you can always tell when people do that. Right, right. And so uh, I was going to say then, you were then, probably pretty pleased with how new world supported the movie because for you you thought it was always going to go to video yes um and it did very well um and then it launched uh, her career uh-huh um yeah patricia arquette yeah it really launched her career and then she got picked up and she just started to work uh non-stop i mean yeah what was the big thing didn't she do one of freddie's nightmares yeah she had nightmare number three three right right yeah. right afterwards mm -hmm. so 
Um, and that's off the dome. That's yeah. not a note. That's just <laughs> straight from the memory that's banks right. there. Well, well I mean, but that's and too. that's one of the all time. That's many people's favorite Freddy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that yeah. was a huge movie. I remember yeah. that. That was just enormous. Uh, and so, did New World then talk to you at all about making another movie after Pretty Smart? Um. So, you know, it's very hard to think about the years, right? <laughs> sure. But, sure. But what happened at New World? was that they were they were really working to go public yes and correct. so i think they they were sitting there structuring that their television really started to take off right so they they started to do these really cool michael mann tv series as i recall when they crime story up? yep crime right? story okay yeah. and so i think they started to see a lot more money in banking tv and bob ramey really wanted to get out of the low budget film game okay he took on that mantle because it was an opportunity for him to run a studio, but he didn't really want to run a low budget studio. Right. right. And so he started to shift his mindset into a completely different place, which is fine. I mean, he ended up going over to Paramount and doing some huge things, but he wasn't Roger. You know, Roger was set as an independent filmmaker and Roger would have never jumped to that price point. Yeah. And, right. And then, right. And then I think they even jumped higher than that. And he and never so, wanted to take the company public either, which is what the new owners wanted to do. That's correct. So there was a lot of that stuff going on and it kind of took the focus off of their core, you know, mm -hmm. I thought, but listen, I value the opportunity. I mean, I had an opportunity sure. and, and I, and I, with all of the stuff that happened, I ended up becoming a director, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then continued from there, both on on an independent level and television and everything else. And so, you know, you never you 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 never know what's going to happen when it comes to studios, investors, and everything else. You should just be you should just be happy in the moment that you're able to make a picture. You know. Well, I was going to switch gears just a little bit here. I know that we we and honestly, thank you very much for coming and chatting with us, especially about Pretty Smart, you know, the, the your first uh, movie that you directed. And I, I mean, you have an incredible catalog of movies. But recently, Vinegar Syndrome re-released a nice remaster of Slaughterhouse Rock. Oh, and yeah. we watched it and loved mm -hmm. it. We loved it. <laughs> yeah. So thank very you. closely to Pretty kind. Smart, too, kind. as it all worked out. So yeah, I have to ask, I mean, that's such a different movie and, and, oh, yeah. and you, you were behind what? the story of it. Like, tell us a little bit about how that came about. We won't have to do a deep dive. I would just love to hear a little bit because it was such a surprise find for us. Well, you know, I, I, I was not the kind of filmmaker that really wanted to do the conventional horror film. Okay. And so I decided that I wanted to, to see if I could come up with a story that would be a, a horror musical. <laughs> I thought, uh -huh. wouldn't it be great? You know, and then I, and then I said, and then I said, what about we, you know, we do this, this story, which, which by the way, I would love to do, redo a completely different version of that today, mm -hmm. by the way, which I have the remake rights to, but um I thought, wouldn't it be cool if this band uh, was stuck because they were murdered, you know, on this island, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And these spirits are there and, you know, and there's a bad spirit and a good spirit, but the, the good spirits of these, 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 uh, this band uh, was there 
And then we ended up getting some really cool people. I mean, Tony Basil. Tony Basil. You know, I mean, that's you know, such she's, a surprise. She's so good in it. It's too. So good. You know, the, the score, you know, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, we ended up with some really cool people in, in the film. And and I had a lot of fun making it. And by the way, um, so that was that was the genesis of that because I didn't yeah. want to make your conventional slasher film. So I thought, how do I get through this? And and one of my one of my favorite films in at that point that I really liked a lot because it also was sort of on its side was an American werewolf in London. Mm -hmm. So sure. if you look at, if you looked at slaughterhouse, you'd kind of see an attempt at that kind of, uh, sarcastic humor, you know? Sure. Oh, sure. Where you, you can't, you're not really taking the, the genre that seriously. I mean, you sure. know, and then, and then you're ending up with, uh, just some crazy stuff. So, and, and you know also the I creature shot? effects too yeah yeah well. the creature effects were great and i shot that i was one of the last filmmakers to shoot at roger's place yeah here yeah. in venice california yeah you'd all the sewer stuff the underwater yeah. sewer stuff that was mm -hmm. all shot there right yeah that's, that's at so the old lumberyard that, that's so funny that you picked up on that mark i mean that's and, 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 and like i said it's very kind of you to bring that up because i like that film a lot i really yeah. like the way it, it it ended up and, and we did some really amazing things with very, very little money. You right. Know? Yeah. But it looks so, so good. And and with the exteriors actually in Alcatraz, it just, I mean, it adds to the ambiance of it. <laughs> yeah, and as, it does. I, when I was a kid, I went to Alcatraz and I thought it was the coolest place ever. So it just kind yeah. of harkened back to that, like, Oh sure. yeah, Alcatraz. It's so, it's so cool and so scary and such a great setup for a horror movie. So I'll tell you, so I'll tell you something about that. That was, that, that is, that'll, none of us, so they wouldn't allow us to shoot on Alcatraz. So I sat there and I talked to the park rangers and stuff. And I said, how can I shoot here? Come on. And they said, well, you can just come with a tour. And I go, come on, man. I go, I can't come away. I won't need to shoot at night. And he said to me, okay. He goes, I'll let you come with like four people. Okay. <laughs> at night oh, wow. and so so my dp who's a wonderful friend of mine by the name of nicholas von sternberg the son of joseph von sternberg mm -hmm. the very very famous uh director a cameraman who, mm -hmm. who shot and discovered marlena dietrich yeah and nick is an incredible dp so he says to me he goes dimitri i roller skate so he said we can get a lot of the moving shots that you like for establishing shots on my roller skates <laughs> wow okay so he brings his roller skates and then we needed some lights right. and I wanted some smoke. So we were yeah. allowed to bring a smoke machine. And so, and then I paid this park ranger. I just kept slipping him money because he was with us all night and we were <laughs> shooting and it happened to be right after it rained. So you get all those beautiful yeah. shots nice. of the city. Right. Um, and uh, so, so we go to solitary and we go down into solitary and I, and the guy says to me, he goes, do you guys want to go? stand inside the cell and i look around and i said can you lock this door he goes no the locks are broken off he goes you can't lock the door so nick and i go and we're standing inside solitary like this and he closes the door and it is pitch black okay mm. and both he and i walked into this room and he's standing when he walked in he's on the far right and i'm on the far left okay and the room was about mm, let's say about 12 by 15 okay mm -hmm. with a hole in it for the prisoners to go to the bathroom in the corner okay and so we're standing there and then all of a sudden i feel a tap on my shoulder 
okay. And I said, what? And he said, what? And I said, Nick. And he said, yes. He goes, what? He said, did you tap me? And I said, no, you tapped me. And the guy opens the door and we're still standing on either side of the thing. I said, okay, thank you for solitary. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. Oh. And so you went straight to the airport and you flew home. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And again, I'm not one of those guys. I don't believe in any of this stuff. Okay? Yeah, sure. no, but no. I must tell you, and Nick, and Nick too, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's more of a scientist than he is anything else. And he's like, it was come on. He goes, Dimitri, you're you're joking. And I said, brother, I said, I'm not kidding. I said, I swear to God, it. So you both somebody got tapped, tapped me on the shoulder. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, but there's a lot of evil stuff there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. So you're definitely. glad that you only had to shoot there one night because yeah. <laughs> shooting there any longer maybe was would have yeah. been too much. Yeah. Uh, that's it is such a good movie. And um, I actually I, I on that disc they talk about how enthusiastic you were. I think both. Nicholas and uh, Al Fleming they just talk about how collaborative and how enthusiastic you were to make that movie um and this is like your second film right. um well and- this one was but this one I was you know it was it was mine yeah I mean it was it was it was we came up with it from the beginning um we came up with the idea I I sat there and I really worked it out and it was something that I thought was worth doing you know yeah and you and you continued to work in uh, genre filmmaking, which I, I think is just so fascinating and so great. Obviously, we're big fans of genre filmmaking. New World Pictures was a big genre studio. And like you, your commitment to, to genre filmmaking is, 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 is terrific. Like the, you continue on making uh, thrillers and westerns. And even to this day, I mean, I just watched Jiu-Jitsu today. Oh, cool. And uh just i love genre blending and you that has got a ton of different stuff into it it's so cool and it just shows like you're still committed to making that kind of storytelling which i which i i just really admire well thank you i mean it's but i think that you know that's really what filmmaking is isn't it you know it's like if you take a look at one of my favorite films of all time the godfather Mm -hmm. it's really a genre film that's amazingly Mm -hmm. well written you know if you take a look at any of this stuff that's really popular today, um, you know, it's, it's all about that. And, and, and the studios have taken it in the last 20 years and they've taken all the stuff that we used to do and they've just added $60 million to it. Right, 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 right. And, uh, and so, but I think that's, you can try stuff sure. and, you know, if it works, it really works. I mean, you know, when I rebooted Kickboxer, which everybody warned me not to do, you know, it was a struggle to get it made. I didn't, mm. I didn't direct the first one. I ended up finishing the directing of the first one and editing it. Uh, but then the second one I directed myself and I would always tell everybody, I go, look guys, I said, we're all going to get killed. I go, don't expect any good reviews. It's all going to, I go, we're going to be destroyed by the reviewers because they don't believe in martial arts. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Have you seen the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes? They're amazing. Yeah. Like they're 92% from incredible reviewers. Okay. Right. Right. Because they got it. Yeah. And it's like, it, you know, you've got to be able to get it. If you don't, if you don't get the humor in kickboxer, mm-hmm. there's something wrong with you. <laughs> right. 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 Um, and again, you know, there's a, there's a few guys, they, they didn't quite, I didn't quite be able to, I, I came up with the idea because one of the uh, studio guys that bought my first movie domestically said to me, he goes, why don't you take 
martial arts. And he said, why don't you turn it into, why don't you uh, tie it into sci-fi? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's what everybody on Marvel's doing. What do you mean? What's so unusual about that? And he said to me, he goes, no, no, no. He goes, really? He goes, you need to do it that way. And I said, oh, okay. So that's how I came up with jujitsu, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and then, you know, review wise, we got slammed for it. However, the audience, they completely got it. I mean, the success yeah. of that movie blew my mind, you know, yeah. because we were number, we ended up being number four in the U S on Netflix Wow. And then we, wow. we were number one on Netflix in Canada during wow. the pandemic. Yeah. On Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought was so cool about it. Like yeah. in this age of, you know, um, I, I just we saw everything everywhere all at once, which I just love that movie. And, and, and thinking of your movie as well, it was like I think people are looking at this day and age we're in with this sort of, you know, Marvel and the superhero stuff, which I love. I love all that stuff, but, you know, but we're like, you know, to create new ideas with that in mind, that is like, I just thought your film had a whole lot of imagination in terms of like using the sort of like, like that's the milieu that we're in right now. We're making, Mm -hmm. you know, so, Hey, let's use it. Let's use it. Let's make a movie out of it. And we're not based on a comic book, uh, though I know you and your co-writer actually made a comic book to start uh, for jujitsu, and then you turned it into a script. But it wasn't a, a known IP kind right. of thing. Yeah. But we're going to like, hey, that's how movies are made. Yeah, we'll make one of those, but we'll make an original idea. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for seeing that and getting it. And I appreciate the fact that you guys like genre. Um, you know, it was and interestingly enough, it's the first film in so many years that ended up getting picked up by Paramount. I mean, I haven't had wow. a, a major take a movie out and you know, an independent feature right. in such a long time. You know, the, the big movies that I've always put together as an executive producer, whatever, sure. Uh, and the TV series and all that stuff, but to be able to step into that and and they want another one. They want me to do jujitsu too. It's <laughs> amazing. We just finished writing, by the way, we finished that. So that's right. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Would I mean you don't have to tell us anything, but is Nick Cage coming back? I mean, I know it doesn't look like he would, but I mean, <laughs> is he coming back? He's written in it. Okay. 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 And I figured right. out a way, and I figured out a way to bring him back. Okay. All right. And All it's right. up to Nick, really. I mean, we're we're texting and, and we're constantly texting. You know, he's 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 having a baby. He uh, did right. a wonderful job with the um, unbearable weight of massive talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and pig oh my gosh he's so yeah, good in pig. amazing stuff yeah but he's a blast in jujitsu he's so funny but i can tell you that i think jujitsu is still of all the pictures that he's released without with the exception of massive talent i think it's still up there above everything else that's been released <laughs> sure <laughs> sure awesome. that's so great I think, I think it still hit those numbers that are you know we're, we're in the top five on netflix and you know there's 200 million subscribers so yeah. that is amazing you know that's that's that reaches a lot farther than just martial arts audiences mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely so you can't you can't get in those numbers without getting into you know the major the crossover audiences mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of it was amazing to kind of watch because i could still see some obviously not quite the same but i could see in jujitsu some of like pretty smart and some of slaughterhouse rock and some of like your growth i mean obviously huge it's such a different movie than those you had so much more experience now but like i could see a little bit of those touches just a little bit of stuff in there some of the way things are lit 
you know, I'm like, oh, this is this is Dimitri. This is his movie. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very sweet. That's very sweet of you. Um, so, so just a, a testament to your, you know, talent and and you know your your amazing, uh, you know, uh, work that you've done over all these years. You still have so many movies coming out, not just jujitsu too, but there's a bunch of stuff on IMDb. I don't even know what's coming out next. What what is next? Neither for do you? I. <laughs> um, right now right now i'm working diligently on closing up uh flying shadow okay okay, okay. and uh, and i've got a wonderful leading man for that uh his name is david giantoli who is starred in a in a very big deal tv series called grim mm -hmm. that oh, is great. Sure. also huge in syndication i've got uh uh mike mo who who played the Bruce Lee in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and right now I'm trying to close one more actor, um, and I'm going to bring Alan back to play this really cool bad guy. I mean, he's nice. I got to ugly him up because he's a good looking guy. So I got <laughs> to bar him up and yeah. do all this stuff yeah. to him and stuff. But but it's a really cool story. I mean, it's nice. a really cool story. And it's a story that I've had for quite a while that my son actually found and said to me, he goes, dad, he goes, you know, this script is really good. And then I, I sent it over to my distribution company that I use Highland who mm -hmm. releases a lot of action films mm -hmm. and, and uh, Ariane, who, who was the, the owner of the company, she called me on the phone and she said, this script is really good. And I said, as opposed to what? <laughs> all the other crap i give you all the time and she's no no she goes but it's really good and i said yeah i said we've been working on it for years so that's really what i've got all my focus on right now um if i can get that done then i've got this other project that uh i got from a really wonderful writer who did the fast and furious franchise mm -hmm. right Gary scott right. thompson yeah man of war yeah which we were supposed to do before the pandemic hit. And so mm. now I'm hoping to put that up next. And I've got another project that I'm going to be producing with Todd Garner. Uh, wow. um, and so, you know, we've got, we're just lined up a bunch of stuff here. So. And you have another kickboxer movie as well, right? Armageddon. Is that, I is have, that finished? Have, uh, the script. The script yeah. is finished. The script is, yeah, the script has been finished for a few years. It's a wonderful script. So it's it's a it's, it's a really really terrific script. So it's just a matter, you know. Look, uh, you know, I'm in a different place uh, because I, I need to have the amount of time to make these. Yeah, you know, you're talking about action films now, and so I, I'm of course I'm in the independent world. I can't sit there and shoot for three months, but I do need at least one month. You know, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And if I don't have that one month, and I, I then I'm not going to end up making the kind of film that everybody really likes and specifically that I want to watch. So, you know, so, so I'm a little pickier right now than I was before. Cause I don't need to prove that I can make a movie, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. If you, if in between you can sneak in that remake of all of me, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> you know how many times we've set that up? I think before I ever got the studio, before I ever got this, this company, I think they had set it up twice before. Oh, really? Well, they wow. set it up over at New World Pictures, the the former uh, owners of the company, and Queen Latifah was supposed to star. Huh. No kidding. Wow. And then uh, I got together with John Davis, and we set it up over at Steven Spielberg's company, and we had a wonderful script written, 
and then uh, DreamWorks fell apart by the time the, the, the script was done. Mm-hmm. And then all the rights keep reverting to us, you know. So, and then Todd and I got together and we set it up as a TV show. And then uh, NBC, it didn't, it didn't go there because the showrunner, she went on to do something else. So, you know, this is studio stuff. That's why, I mean, if I was doing studio stuff all the time, I just, we would have nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Or very little to talk about. <laughs> Might be selling cars. <laughs> oh my gosh! Thank you so much, Dimitri. This was this was amazing. We really appreciate your time. We appreciate all that you uh, all the stories and stuff you told us. This was great. Uh, it's pretty smart. I think a kind of a little we you know we all kind of loved it and thought it was mm-hmm. this little gem. And and though it has been re released on Blu Ray, which is great, there's still this there's just not a lot out about it. So it was just awesome to be able to talk to you about it and and learn more about. Uh, how it was made and and what happened behind the scenes and how many people flew off the set and <laughs> or got in fights. I really appreciate you. I appreciate the fact that you're you're uh, you're you're keeping genre alive for everybody and uh, uh, because what else is there? Yeah, that's exactly. Right. That's, that's how we <laughs> that's feel. How we do it. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Dimitri. Really Thank appreciate you, guys. Dimitri. Thanks Have so a great evening. Care. All right, pleasure. you too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Guys. Two things, two things, really quick. Two things. Two one, things. first, one, the first. First one. Yes. An- Number one, an- first. Another, one. another guest a. that wants us to talk about Soul Man. Why do these guests want us to talk about Soul Man? Is it, Oof. I feel like it's, I feel Oof. like there's a bet out there uh, right. that maybe some of the some NWPP people... VIPs know about that people mm. are pooling money to get us to talk about Soul Man. Uh, yeah. Are they betting when that's going to happen? Is that going to drop <laughs> I, in 2022? I, 2023? I, when do they think it's going to drop? Uh, I'm Oof. I'm hedging my bets on 2024. I'm going to Vegas in a couple <laughs> weeks. I'm putting my money down. That's right. There's a side <laughs> bet right. on 2024. Also, I got it. Number two, I've got to give. I'm so glad Vegas has opened up to <laughs> podcast betting. <laughs> finally, finally, finally! What a real, what a real score for podcasts. It's a very niche corner of the casino. It's next to bingo, <laughs> is where you find right. it. But it bingo. is podcast betting. But still further away from Kino. Let's not blend those yeah. two things together. Yeah. Right, right. Please don't. That is insulting to bingo players. Kino people are not podcast betting people. They're not no. the same. No. People who bring daubers to casinos, those are podcast <laughs> those people. Are podcast people. But, they got one. They got any one earbud in. Listen to a podcast while they, all times, while they all play time. bingo. While they daub right. on their bingo right. cards. You think they're listening to a baseball game? They're not. Yeah, they're, they're podcasting. Not. Nope. That's in the Kino room. <laughs> Kino people are baseball people. <laughs> baseball people. So second thing. Uh, secondly, two. Dimitri, number two, d- number two, second, number number two, two, second. second. B, B, <laughs> B, zero two. Um, what about his impression of Tony Randall? It's yeah, pretty darn good. It yeah, is. Good. It's amazing. I was that was a real I mean, highlight. I, it's made me think that we need to start asking more people if they have a Tony Randall impression on them. I don't. I never. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think to ask that of anyone. Yeah. And we should we should ask Daniel Waters if he has a Tony Randall yeah, impression. We should. Did you guys want to hear my Tony Randall? Yes. <laughs> I do. I'm 
I'm a little scared. <laughs> well, I'm going to save it. Okay. Right. Oh, okay. All right. All okay. Right. I'm going to surprise right. you with save it. it. One save it. One of these save days. One of these days. Okay. That's another, that's another prop bet at Vegas. When that's will an, Erica do her Tony right. Randall impression? What's the over right. under on her yeah. Tony Randall impression <laughs> debut? <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for joining us for Comedy Month. We hope you had a good time. Uh, and thank you, we, Dimitri. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Dimitri. so much. Oh, yes, of course. It was a great end, conversation. We're close it with Dimitri. He's he is awesome. What a great guy. Um, we're just so uh, happy that we got to talk to him. That he was willing to talk to us about you know, pretty smart and Slaughterhouse Rock and sort of the beginning of his career. Uh, and we're excited to see what he does next. Jujitsu is on oh, Netflix. Man. Honestly, uh, I'm uh, wait, uh, please. I can't wait for his remake of All of Me. That is going to be amazing. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Excited for that. So excited to see what he does next. Um, you know, he's a great guy and we're just, we're, we're thrilled to be able to talk with him. So thank you, Dimitri. Thank you all for listening. And we will see you next time on the new world pictures podcast. Bye everybody. <laughs>